Hey there, welcome to the I Didn't Sign Up For This podcast with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the state of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode three. Today, we're talking about self-validation and love versus outside validation and love. And then we'll talk a little bit about codependency, too, because that fits nicely into this topic. So we'll start out by sort of defining what each one is, and then after that, we'll get into the codependency piece. Take it away, Allison. So I'm going to start by talking about outside love and validation. I think this looks like basically you need external comments from people or things external of you to feel good about yourself. So you don't really trust yourself. Um you can't, you're constantly second guessing yourself and you're not really happy unless somebody is telling you that you're doing really well. Um, I could probably talk a little bit more about this, but I think it might be better to switch to you, Jade, so you can talk about the other piece of this and then we can kind of move into um, how they work together. Okay. Yeah. So the self-love and validation piece is going to look obviously opposite from the part Allison just talked about. (laughs) And this is going to be more when you know yourself, you understand yourself, you're confident, you're comfortable, you can trust yourself. And when you don't need affirmations from other people in order to feel good about yourself. So those affirmations come more from within versus with the outside love, it comes from others. And I think that doesn't mean that we don't all enjoy hearing people telling us that they're proud of us or telling us that, you know, we look, we look really nice. We, we made a good choice with what, what we decided to do with our hair that day. Um, It's still really nice. I think to hear those things, but Mm -hmm. I think the difference here is If you are feeling good about yourself and you do love yourself, you don't need that in order to feel happy because you know it to be true yourself. And I think if you are in a space where you don't feel that way, you feel really like you're falling apart if someone isn't giving these things to you. Mm Mm-hmm. I have in my notes here, it's nice to have external validation, but it's important to have (laughs) (laughs) self-validation because it does, it does feel nice. It does feel good. And it's, it's reassuring, right? We can feel confident and good about ourselves and it still is reassuring to hear from other people those same things, right? That is very true. So it's not that getting it from outside is a bad thing, but, um, it should start from within, right? Because those outside opinions and outside thoughts can waver. People can, for whatever reason, not compliment us on a given day or not reassure our choices, even if they agree with it or think that they're good, right? We might not hear it. So it's still important to know yourself without having to hear it from somewhere else, but it does feel good to hear it from somewhere Mm -hmm. else. 
it does. And I think, I mean, I do think that it's important to have connections with people where you're getting, where you're feeling loved and cared for, because it's really hard to know how to do that for yourself if you haven't had a model and nobody has given it to you. Um, but Mm -hmm. I also think that if you're in a space where you're constantly needing that and you don't feel good on your own, it's not a very, not a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Healthy? Yes, it's not healthy, but that's not the word I was looking for. It's not sustainable. It can't, you can't live in that space for very long. Yeah. I see a lot of, well, I I guess let's just jump into the codependent piece because I see, a lot of these types of things in the therapy room, right? Because of just that, that it's not sustainable. You can do it for so long until something builds up, right? Until that confidence piece Mm -hmm. starts to leak into other areas because it's not feeling good. And so that is a lot of what I see in the therapy room because it's not sustainable. So I think uh, let's get into then this codependency piece. Um, I think it, how do I, I I don't want to like sit here and give you like an actual definition. So how do I describe this? I think codependency is more fear-based than love-based in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think, um, it definitely, I, as a lot of people tie it in with addiction and they feel like it goes nicely with that, um, and while that is true, you can be in a codependent relationship without having addiction. Um, it's not just because you have addiction means that you automatically have this codependency piece and you can't have it without the addiction. They can be separate of each other. I just think that they often do coincide. Um, so it can it can stem from lots of different places. And I think one of the most common, which is why it's... Um, linked with addiction is having a family that is not very healthy, a family system. And so you don't really have a secure attachment to the people that are taking care of you. So it does become very scary and unstable. And then what the codependency behavior might look like is you're constantly putting yourself before someone else. You have a really difficult time setting boundaries with people. Um, You don't really feel like maybe what you're thinking is important or worth it so you kind of just want to put your own needs on the side to make somebody else happy so you're putting you're trying to take care of other people at your own expense um you have a really hard time making decisions you kind of waffle back and forth mainly because you don't know if you're going to make a decision that's going to make someone else unhappy and you don't want to risk that um so you're kind of just walking on eggshells in all of your relationships so i think It can be tied into uh, an abusive relationship. Like a lot of times I think you see a lot of different red flags when you're in a space like this, but it doesn't have to be. You can have this unhealthy dynamic without having that abuse there. Um, But I do think, um, and we might uh, leave a link. There's uh, like a a little circle and it's called a a power and control circle. Mm -hmm. And it talks about like the different, the different things that happen when you're in an abusive relationship, like, um, somebody can put you down or they maybe 
don't take responsibility for what they do and they put it on you all the time or they don't give you space to be yourself and they're constantly like checking on you and looking through your stuff. Um, Sometimes you feel pressure to do certain things that you don't really want to do because they're telling you you have to do it. Uh, There are lots of different red flags that could be tied into that. And then if you look at the opposite side, what does what does a healthy relationship look like? Sometimes it's so easy to identify all the things that aren't working that it's really hard to look at what is working. And that basically looks like it there is no fear there. Um everybody, both people that are in the relationship are able to operate on their own but also operate together. So you guys both trust each other. There's no mistrust there. You can communicate each other, um, communicate to each other openly about stuff. There's no fear that if you say something, they're they're gonna explode, they're gonna react in a way that doesn't feel good. You guys both have privacy. You both take responsibility for things. I could go on and on and on, and I think I might go on a tangent, so I won't. Um, (laughs) Jade, do you have anything that you wanna add to that? Um, yeah, I just, uh, I think actually the whole idea of codependence sort of start, I mean, it's been around for a while, right? But I think it started actually with addiction in referring to like the spouses of people with addictive behaviors, because, and when you talk about like either addiction or abusive relationship, it really does sort of go hand in hand, right? That somebody Mm -hmm. feels like they are taking care of the other person, right? Probably the person with the addiction or the other person, I would say usually the person with the addictive behaviors or the abusive behaviors, they're not feeling validated from their internal selves, right? And so that caretaking is something that they sort of thrive off of in a way. But and so the two really do sort of go hand in hand, but it doesn't make it healthy, right? Not it is all. certainly an unhealthy relationship, but it works for a, a period of time because both people are sort of getting what they need in, in, in a sense. And I, I think that's why when you're in a family where maybe it's, it's not extremely healthy, it's easy to pick up a lot of those behaviors because that's how you had to learn how to survive in that house. And I think that there are different roles I think out there um who is it Virginia Satir I think is the one that came up with the the different roles in a a unhealthy family system I think so yeah um and I mean there's if I remember correctly there's the mascot right that's the one that's pay attention to me look at me I got it everything's under control Mm -hmm. like I am just gonna keep being super responsible and do it Um, And I think they're actually also called the responsible one, depending on what article you're looking at. Uh, And then there's a scapegoat, the one that's always blamed, the one that is always, like, it doesn't matter what the situation is, that's the one that always gets in trouble for everything. Then there's the one, I think it's the invisible one, um, where they kind of just fly under the radar. Uh, And then I think that there is the the counselor or mediator, the one that always tries to fix the problem. Um, tries to counsel and mend and make sure that everything is okay. So if you look at all of those relationships, I mean, it's not like you get to pick which one you are. It kind of just happens. But all of those dynamics have a piece of that codependent nature in there, right? Because you are trying to like 
fix the situation, put everybody else before your own. Or if you're the one that's um, invisible, you're just trying to like not have anyone pay attention to you. So of course you're not gonna say what you're needing because you just wanna you wanna fly under the radar and not have not make a rock the boat. So I think um, it, really it's it's just coming from a space where you don't really get your needs met and you're not secure and it's really scary. So, I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just really difficult to be in that space. It does, and it doesn't have to be permanent. It is not something that once you are in this space, it'll always be there. It's just something that takes a lot of work to, to figure out and to get on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I should backtrack actually to what I said before. I think if you're talking about a relationship where there is addiction or abuse, I would say that both people are in need of that external validation. I, mm-hmm. I think I said that it's typically like the abusive person or the person um, with the addiction, but I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think that it's probably both people, um, at least what I've seen. But to what you're saying, to your point, they are fixable. I totally agree with that. Um, and I also think that it takes a long time for people to even realize what their role is. You know, like you said, you don't, you usually don't even recognize that it's your role until Absolutely. patterns sort of start to stack up. And then you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, why, why am I feeling like I'm solving everybody else's problems? Why is everybody always coming to me and I have nobody to go to when I need something? Or mm-hmm. you start to notice things stacking up and then it's like oh you know I've grown up taking care of people or I've grown up trying to keep the peace in my house or in my relationships and voila I think too you start to notice that not everybody's family works the way yours does and I think sometimes you're in a space where you have friends who have very similar family systems so it might take a little while to notice because it's exactly the same but I think the more you grow up and the more people you meet and the more experience you have experiences you have you do start to kind of see that things are different in in other spaces and they don't have to be that way and then I think when you start to realize that it gets a little scary because you're not really you now you have knowledge and awareness but you don't really know what to do with it and I think in that particular situation it is good to go to a friend who you do trust to try and you know get that support or at that point maybe talk to a a therapist about it or go to um, maybe like a group or an organization that may be able to help yeah the change the change I think is probably the hardest part like once you realize it and then you want to change something that's the hardest part because people know you in a certain way. And in previous episodes, we've talked too mm-hmm. about and even just the episode that we'll do in this series on change in relationships. There it is again, how when you change, people aren't used to it and they're not going to like it because the dynamic of the relationship changes, right? And so you not only have to make those changes for yourself, but then there is the way that people will respond to that change. And that's a difficult thing for everybody. I think that's why a lot of times uh, kids in particular really like going to college. Yeah. Because most of the time you're going to go somewhere where no one really knows you. So you get to start brand brand new all over and be 
the person you want to be. Mm-hmm. It does. Well, I don't know. Maybe you've experienced different things. I feel like for me personally, even, um, and other people that I've talked to these things, like these ways that we behave in relationships and show up in relationships, they follow us though. Unless you're a very self-aware, you'll probably be repeating the same patterns and the same way of engaging until you're aware. That is because of these little things called mirror neurons that we all have <laughs> oh, in please, our brain. More. um i mean i could talk about it but it's off topic would you like me to (laughs) maybe maybe a minute so that they know (laughs) listeners know what we're talking about so mirror neurons are what helps us learn so it it, they are the things that when you're watching something like maybe a football game that you're really into you get really into it and it's because your brain kind of feels like you're doing it too it's what makes us yawn. It's why they're so contagious. So it's it's how we learn how to do things. It's also why we have empathy. So it's how we relate it, to other people. Mm-hmm, it's how we relate to other people. So I think what happens when you are young, young, and you're learning how to be in relationships from the whoever it is around you that's raising you, you get these ingrained pathways from what you're learning. And so it's already in there and it's wired. So then once you get to the point where you're noticing that maybe there's an issue and maybe there's something you'd like to change, if you get there, because some people don't, uh, it's already solidly there. It's, it's wired. So it doesn't mean that you can't. It just means you have to work extra hard hard to make that other wire and that's why it takes so long to form a new habit because that's already there so it's something that that's why if you try something once and it doesn't work you can't really give up you got to give it like a solid 30 60 days as difficult as that sounds to really try it to see if it's going to work because you have to ingrain it and then the other thing you have to remember is in times of stress, your brain is going to go to the path of least resistance. So it's going to go right back to that wire that it's already there. But the thing is, if you've done the work and you have the skills, you can identify it that much quicker and then flip to the other wire and then go from there. So that's why we get into these relationships and have the same patterns because your brain already knows how to do it. And then it's just becoming aware of it and trying to actively change it. And, And then it's a lot easier to work through it and stop the patterns. Yeah, I always tell people that you're not going to go to the gym and bench press 300 pounds on your first day. No. You got to start <laughs> you got to start small and build up those muscles, right? You got to you got to slowly learn how to do this and how to engage differently until until you work up to that point where it feels normal. I mean, unless you're really trying to injure yourself cuz that'd be a great way to do it. <laughs> that would be a great way to do it. And then you could listen to our podcast on injury <laughs> and mental health yeah that's a good one <laughs> we're trying to bring you guys full circle that's what we're trying to do um speaking of full circle this topic I mean I I don't know Allison tell me if I'm wrong I feel like we always come back to boundaries like that is yeah the hub of everything that we talk about right and why it's so important to have them and it's going to be crucial in in codependent relationships or relationships where you're constantly needing that external validation where it's not coming from inside. Um, The boundaries are going to be so, so important in sort of teaching people what you will and won't put up with, really. 
I think too that's why it's so hard if you're already in a relationship with somebody and now you're trying to change the boundaries because you didn't set them up before and so now this person over here thinks that that's the expectation. So when you try and switch it, that's why sometimes they either get confused or they get maybe mad um, because now you're switching it on them. Now that doesn't mean that it's that it's wrong. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> like everybody needs to have these to take care of themselves, not only to take care of themselves but to show to let other people know how to treat you better. Uh, and some people, there are gonna be some people who are gonna be able to, okay, so now that I know this about you, I can do it for you. But there are gonna be people out there who are gonna resist that and it's because they don't have boundaries themselves. So they're just gonna keep pushing it. And so it, it's really important to be able to set it up from the beginning because then you kind of avoid getting into these situations that maybe are a lot harder to navigate when you're in them. That doesn't mean that it won't ever happen because these things just happen sometimes, but um, that's why they're so important to make sure you're setting up front. Agreed. Should we talk about the healthy and unhealthy behaviors and what those look like um, quickly and then jump into our unsolicited advice? Well, we already talked about what they look like, but now I think we were wanting to talk about how to engage more in the healthier behaviors and not and kind of try and get out of maybe um, the patterns of the uh, unhealthy ones. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more of like um, almost like listing what some unhealthy and healthy behaviors look like to pull out the sort of important pieces of what we went over. But if I think that you should roll with your little heart's desire. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so, you can still do that. I just know that I kind of, I went over some of them in the beginning. So I don't know if you have different ones um, or if you, and I don't expect you to remember all of the stuff I said in the beginning. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think mostly the healthy ones is what I am thinking of. Because, yeah, we talked about, like, what the more unhealthy ones look like. Like, when we talk about boundaries, like, being able to say no and being able to assert what you want, right? Those are going to be important things. But also the thing that I think is less obvious is allowing other people to be uncomfortable sometimes and feel their sadness or feel their grief or what they're experiencing and not feeling like it's your responsibility to fix that or save other people, right? You can be there, you can be supportive, but you don't necessarily have to be the hero in order to be worthy or worthy in the relationship. Um, so that's the one that stood out to me as wanting to point out. I think something that could help anybody really, but really specifically somebody who's struggling to set boundaries is engaging in more things to take care of yourself. As silly as that sounds, it might not seem like, you know, well, how is that going to help me set boundaries? It'll help you set boundaries because you cannot set them easy if you don't feel worthy. So if you are able to continue to take care of yourself and do the things to to get into a space where you are healthy because you're doing what you need for yourself it does shift us into this space of i am worth it and then it's a lot easier to start saying no because no is a complete sentence you don't have to say no because or no but it's just no you don't owe anybody an explanation for taking care of yourself yeah and again the way to engage in these healthier behaviors is 
going to be baby steps, right? But mm-hmm. I suggest starting with just the reflective point. Like if you feel uncomfortable in a situation or if you feel like your needs aren't getting met, to step back and reflect on that and try and understand what you're needing, what you're not getting, and then coming up with a way to express that or communicate that and set those boundaries based on what you're needing and what you're wanting and your comfort level. But I think the reflection piece is important. I think too, taking that reflection piece and looking at all the relationships you're in and assessing them. Like, do I see what are things that make me uncomfortable and what are things that make me comfortable? And just looking at it, is there more good than bad or is there more bad than good? Because I think if there's more good than bad, that's a really good sign. And that means that you could probably work with that person to get into a better space and to, to move forward. But if there's more bad than good, it might not be the best relationship to be in. So it's important to make sure you're looking at that because it's going to be easier to set boundaries with people who are going to be able to respect you and when there is more good in their relationship. Easier said than done, yeah. I know, but important to right. hear. And that being said, if you are in an abusive relationship, it might not be the best idea to start asserting yourself right away, right? Yeah, you want to make sure you can be safe first because sometimes it's not safe to do that, unfortunately. So creating a plan, which actually I think brings us to our unsolicited advice. Oh, good. Let's do that. Because my unsolicited advice, I do not have a quote for you, but I do have a resource. Uh, I went back and forth which, which which one I wanted to give you, but I think this one kind of ties a lot of what we talked about in it. Um, so we'll link it. We'll link the website. I'm giving you a website. It's www.thehotline.org slash is dash this dash abuse slash. And so that, that will be in, um, we're going to post it under the podcast, but I can tell you in this, I really like this website because it has a place where you could look at the power and control wheel and look at the warning signs and the different kind of abuse. It has a 24 seven line that you can call. It has, um, a little checklist of what, uh, domestic violence looks like, what abuse looks like, and you can kind of check it. And it says, you know, if you've answered yes to any of these questions, you might be in an unhealthy relationship. And then it tells you where to go for help. It, it talks about um, what abuse is, why people abuse, abuse, why people stay in abusive relationships, uh, what does a healthy relationship look like. So it just kind of talks about some of the stuff that we already talked about. So I think it's a really good resource. It's the National Dom- Domestic Violence Hotline is what it is. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, did you want to give your other your other resource? You're not limited to one unsolicited piece of advice. <laughs> You can give as much unsolicited advice as you want. This is true. (laughs) This is true. So um, I have a couple other um, websites that just talk, that are just more resources. So there's www.corasupport.org backslash. Um, That is a place in Burlingame and it's a, it's a domestic violence um, shelter and hotline. Um, There's also, um, what's the other one that I have? Uh, there's also www.nextdoor.org backslash. And I think everybody's pretty familiar with that one. That one I think is more local. Um, and the YWCA also has uh, resources there too. Yeah. I used to work there. Ooh, ooh. 
yeah, in my early counseling days. Okay, I also have a recommendation versus a quote today. So my book recommendation is called Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. And I always wonder if I'm saying her last name right. But um, this is like the big book in the field, I guess, when it comes to codependency. So that's a really good one to get more information just about codependency, obviously, and how to sort of break that cycle. And then the second book that I want to recommend is called Attached. And this is like my all-time favorite book ever to recommend. It's by um, Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel Heller, MA. And this book is, it's pretty interactive. It's got like quizzes and stuff that you can take to identify your attachment style. But it's a really great, easy to read book that gives you an idea of how you engage in relationships and how you show up in them and how you relate to other people based on your attachment style with your like early childhood caregivers. So um, what's it called? Attached. attached yeah. Um, and it's by Dr. Adam. Uh, sorry, Amir Levine. I say Adam because Adam Levine, that's what came to mind. Adam Levine, Adam Levine did Amir. not write this book. After <laughs> Amir Levine. But he's a really great singer. So yeah, know, I'm glad that. Dr. Um, Amir Levine is probably never going to hear this podcast. That'd be horribly embarrassing. <laughs> Um, and Rachel Heller. I'm I'm a uh, saving this on my books to read because I always like to to um, read things that I can recommend. I don't like recommending things that I haven't read. Yeah, um, yeah. I love 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 this book. It's it's great. It's something that you can read individually. You can read it as a couple. You can do the quizzes together as a couple. There's just so many ways to approach it. And you don't necessarily need to read it like start to finish. You can kind of bounce around too, which is nice um, and convenient for a lot of people. So I like it. So those are two my, my two recs. Um, we will link to all of these resources in the podcast description on CastBox. And I'll have these resources on my website as well. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, or topics you want to hear about, you can DM us on Instagram or email us at podcast.ididntsignupforthis at gmail.com. No apostrophe. Did I forget anything? Nope, I think that's it. Okay. So that's all, and we will chat with you all next time. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.